Sure. And so my popping phone dies. Up. Yeah. Okay. We're going live. So it's probably uh, live now. It's catching the end of the feed. Welcome to the Dank Kingdom podcast. Uh, Matthew in Boston, Anthony in Oklahoma, Titus in Virginia, and Dave in Ohio. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing good. The feed should be up on awesome. D- DKCM. I think we're live and rolling. All right. So let's do a little bit of housekeeping before we get too far ahead of ourselves. Next week, I have booked uh, David Sanabria. I want to talk about blood. Um, David is one of my go-to friends about ransom atonement, and he's done a lot of thinking about about the purpose of the sacrificial system and blood and what all that means. I'd love to have that conversation together. Um, for those of you that are watching, if you can see, which way do I go? Right behind me. Uh, see all those? That's my Ananicene Fathers. I'm working on a spreadsheet. Those, those little tabs are all the citation references for Isaiah 53 in the patristics. Wow. So I'm, I'm working That's on, good. yeah, I'm working on um, everything, the whole chapter. So even if it's just a mention of the first verse, I'm going to put a spreadsheet mm-hmm. with every and I seem father citation that I can find of Isaiah 53 all in one place. And then I'll drop, um, I'll drop a comparative of the LXX and the MSS of Isaiah 53 for comparison. And that'll be a resource that we all have available. Then we, we know, we know you like to talk about blood. We've seen the cartoons with, with you <laughs> drinking blood. <laughs> so that's next week. Titus is threatening. To yeah. That really added some, Go ahead, Anthony. What's that? Yeah. Now I was just saying Titus's accusations about you drinking blood were just hyper dramatized when his voice slowed down <laughs> with the bad connection. Well, we might as well. Did you hear sh- him? Did you hear him stumbling, or was it just my connection? I think it was just your connection. You Okies okay. aren't known for your speedy internet. Might be. We are not. They're putting fiber in on our back roads, so maybe things will change about the time I move off <laughs> nice. this place. So, uh, we should give a shout out to Jim from Don't Perish. I'm sure he's watching. So, hello, Jim. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, hey, and I think one of the things that we wanted to talk about this week was church authority. We got in a little tiff. We had a little disagreement in the camp. I think that's an understatement. We had we had Anthony making memes comparing followers of the way to ISIS. I <laughs> uh, slightly overstated, but you know. <laughs> they were memes. <laughs> so this is this is just an example for anyone watching. Matthew is laughing right now, and that literally was a meme. So if anyone else has been yeah. offended by our memes. I think this is a great example of how to respond and, and right. how seriously we take ourselves in, in the meme group. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. What we, that, that, I don't, I, I think that's on the contender list for meme of the week this week too. Oh, nice. Um, we, we, we started off talking about, and I, I feel like I talk more than everybody, and I'd like to rectify that. Maybe you guys can introduce the subject that we got into hot water about with each other. Sure. I'm, I'm looking well, up, uh, uh, 
I'm looking up my favorite meme of the week that, that has to do with that topic. But yeah, go ahead, Anthony, while I look that up. Um, yeah, well, I guess I guess the uh, the, the the background was was that it, the followers of the way is kind of known for having at least among some of us for having this position that um, they don't have extra biblical rules. Um, and obviously that's an, you know, that's a simple, a simple statement that takes a lot of qualifications. So, um, and, and as we, as we discuss some things like women's, women's clothing, which all, all Anabaptist background and kingdom people love to discuss, um, we, the, the subject came up of whether, you know, a church should make rules about whether, about, you know, Re requiring dresses for women for instance when mm -hmm. that's not a clear scriptural mandate so um and and yeah i, I found that some of matthew's uh, arguments in favor of a of a uh, dresses or skirts for women uh church policy r seemed to me that they were indistinguishable from from um you know the sort the sort same sorts of arguments that are used um the same authority that is that is uh um, invoked for everything from from dresses to the length of dresses to the width of pant legs to the amount of, of rubber on buggy tires um yeah all of those things and 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 so so my question is when if the church takes that sort of authority to draw those sorts of lines that that on the basis of things other than timeless scriptural principles that that you believe would be violated by any other application um then then where does that stop and where is the ground for critiquing anyone else who does it in a slightly different way Right. Hang there on. We go. Pull, what do you got I'm, for us, Titus? I'm trying to pull it up. There we go. The prince of the power of this air, gender confusion, lust, perversion are battering down the door, and Matthew's skirts for women <laughs> is, what, is what's keeping all that from coming in. You should you should pull up Elijah's too, because his was my favorite. That was my uh, the right. kids stepping over all the steps. Some uh, someone. It, there's so many memes it, it, it takes know. forever to get to them but i'll see if i can pull that one up eventually <clears throat> we really need to get better at tagging them yeah we should we need we should start putting a meme of the week tag on the ones that we think are contenders then we can pull them up easy so matthew i think you wanted mm -hmm. to to frame this discussion uh, uh, you know in regard to church authority um so just to kind of get that conversation going, I am curious if, if that's the only, I, and I wasn't reading the comments. I'm notorious for not reading any paragraphs. Um, so I don't know you're, what you were saying. So you're, I'm, I'm, you're a true meme purist. That's right. So if, if that's your only angle, which it probably isn't, you probably have um, a 15 minute Jordan Peterson sounding reason for your position. But if that is is your primary angle, I would be curious if there was yeah, another too much church. Like Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah, if if there was another church community that decided that that pants were okay for women, then and their apostles 
decided upon that, then what would you think? Well, I, it's none of my business. If it was a church, hypothetically, if it was a church that that was one of our churches where where our church planters were starting it, and it was in America, um, that would be a conversation that we would pursue. I, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm curious, Dave. You never weighed in, uh, and I've got multitudes of paragraphs on this issue. This issue. I'm curious before <laughs> I give any justification where you're at. Well, I guess. If, if I remember correct, I'll, go, I'll just jump back to um, the read that I did on of King Jesus Calls His Church, um, because I think that, I mean, I assume that that's kind of the, the, the position that you have. They made a bunch of sense to me that basically the argument is that... Um, just the same way as the church has a statement of faith that says we what we believe for instance we believe um that this is the trinity uh-huh the bible doesn't say in you know any specific format that and behold there is the trinity and this is how it is neither dividing the substance etc 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 it's not in there but it follows our understanding of scripture when we sit down and we write up a statement of faith is or a, or a creed or whatever is that when when the bible says this we understand it to mean this because it naturally follows etc cetera, etc cetera. um and that my understanding then is that followers of the ways position is that um or at least penny in his book is that the extra biblical rules aren't really extra biblical because they naturally follow from scripture. A am I? Yeah. Maybe that they're post biblical, that they're derived from scriptural concerns. But they, so, but m my understanding was that at mm -hmm. least in King Jesus calls his church was that Plain. he said a church doesn't have the authority to say anything that they can't say. This naturally follows from our understanding of scripture. Can yeah. I can I jump in here now that Finney came up and I, I found my my favorite or my least favorite, I should say, quote in this book. And I, I mean, I want to be careful how, how I say this, because I, I respect Finney a great deal and I, I want him to come back on my podcast <laughs> at some point. But be careful. Having said that, <laughs> having said that, this is this is uh, OK, Th this is probably one of the dumbest sentences I've, I've read in any book ever. All right. Come on now. <laughs> All right. Be, and, and I quote, because God regards exposure of the legs to be nakedness, shorts, men's or women's short skirts or short dresses are not appropriate for the Christian. And here here's where it gets goofy. Jesus gives us his example that his robe extends down to his feet. There can be no better standard than Jesus's example. OK, so. So. <laughs> So using the example of Jesus's robe down to his feet to, to say that you shouldn't wear shorts, like, like, I don't, I don't even think I should have to rebut that. Should I like, isn't that self-evident? And, and Matthew, I, I read your name in this book that you were a proofreader. So when, when he wrote that, that <laughs> sentence, weren't you like, come on, Finney? No, don't, don't mm. put that in there. Well, I had, there were plenty of things that I had took exception to that made it through the cut, the editorial cut anyhow, but, um, 
I think at best you can call those circumstantial cases. They're, they're you know, points in favor, but not points to recommend. I, what I would say is this, I, I have two major theses for how I look at, at this issue as it pertains to church authority, because I really think this symptom is a good way to discuss the issue of church authority, what the church can speak into and what she should not. I, when, I was, when I was spending time with Western Fellowship Mennonite people and trying to decide if I was going to join the Mennonite church or not, I really had a lot of push and pull with different church leaders and friends of mine in, in about what, what does it cost me to come in? Like, what do I have to give up? What do I have to take on in order to be a part of this communion? And I wrestled back and forth with the different components of that issue and finally derived at the case that I, don't, I didn't believe that the church had the right to make those calls. And, and it was really a question of, of church prerogative more than the particulars of the case. So I'm, I'm familiar with the rationale that says, you know, there are certain things that the church can't, shouldn't be asking of us, like for me to change my wife's veil to a cap, you know, the, these kinds of issues to make my wife's dress shorter because they thought it was trendy to have dresses down to the ankles, you know, those kinds of things I didn't think were within the product of the church. When I, when I look at what is in the progress of the church, there are two, there are two issues that, that I come away with and a, and a bunch of subcategories. The, one, the main one is that due to, due to the linguistic nature of the Bible and us as, as creatures, there are certain definitions that have to be made in common. So if we scrap the word modest apparel and we were to put in place some other adjective and say, that Christian women should wear purple apparel. We would have to have some kind of purple has to mean something and it has to mean something in common. So there's a purple and there's a not purple and somewhere arguments of the beard notwithstanding, somewhere there's a place that's not purple and a place that is. And in order to, for that to be a meaningful sentence, it has to mean something in common. And so when we look at a word like modest apparel, there has to be some kind of parameters. And what Finney does in King Jesus Claims His Church is he says that the Bible is remarkably sparse on specificity. In other words, we don't have colors and numbers and shapes and sizes. It's not delineated in those kinds of terms. So the question is, does that any given people are asking as a church is, do, do pants on women fit the modifier of modest apparel? for women. And, and then, then we have our, then we make our case from there. But the question of whether or not the church has some prerogative in defining that some things are modest apparel and some things are not, I think is, I think that's okay for the church to, to postulate. How specific can she be? I, I don't know how to resolve. I think that has to be worked out in some kind of local framework, but there. I know that we all have a little bit different lines, some things that we're comfortable with and some things that we're not. And I don't have a good mechanism for a universal resolve of that. Okay, so, so um, go ahead and maybe ask questions about point one and then I'll make point two. Yeah, um, just just thinking about, about this whole thing. Um, overall, I found a lot of what he said convincing. My issue was, 
that I didn't think the things that naturally followed from scripture are the same things that he thought naturally followed from scripture. Right. And that's, that's where right. the sticking point is. Sure. Now, if you're saying that each church, um, as you're talking about this, I want to use an analogy and I'd like you to say, yes, that's a good analogy for what I'm saying or no, it's not. So that we have some groundwork to go you know, forward. Um, the, 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 threefold government of the United States, you know, there's the, there's the legislative branch, you know, and they make the laws. And then there's a the judicial branch that interprets the law and they say what it means. And you said about, for instance, purple, we say this is purple. Well, maybe you've seen the, um, some of these pictures where they have one color on one side and one and another color on the other side, and it kind of blends into each other where you can't see where the one stops and yeah. you can't draw a line there and say at this point it stops being green or at this point it starts being purple because it it blends but there's times where those lines have to be drawn because we know this end is definitely not and we know this end definitely is but somewhere in the middle we have to mm -hmm. decide and so are you saying the church right. acts kind of as a, as the judicial branch in interpreting, at least for those that have aligned themselves with that specific church, um, to say, this is what we've decided that it means. Y yes, I am. But I also think that there can be abuses of that principle. Well, yeah, fair enough. Um, I just, because that, that makes sense to me, because if you have a group of people that are pretty much on the same page, they can agree together to figure out how it means for them. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that I, I think that where so I've begun to recognize, you know, in my early fights with my Mennonite friends, um, this this pattern it, it it emerges out of out of groups trying to live the faith together, that you have to find out some way to 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 figure out what what do we have in common and what do we not, some kind of definition of terms, and a lot of it is really all about defining terms. Like, like for instance, a much more controversial one, depends on where you're from, I guess, but a typically more controversial one is what is a marriage? Like, okay, let's look at all of Jesus's teachings and the New Testament teachings about marriage and divorce and remarriage, but how you define marriage is going to have a lot of implication on all the rest of the fallout from there. So how are people working out those kinds of definitions? Another, another perfect example that I think is more in line with, with the modesty controversy is covetousness. It's something that we're woefully ill-prepared to deal with. I, I, I don't know that I've ever heard of a man being excommunicated for covetousness. And that's surprising given the, the weight that's given to that value in, in, in the pastoral epistles. So the fact- There are that certain plain groups that do it. Yeah, pr praise God they do. I, I think props to them for that. But that's another kind of word that requires some external definition for it to have mm -hmm. meaning. Like there have to be parameters for what's covetous and what's not. And do so, those parameters? Go go ahead. I'll let you finish. I, that's, I, I'm really curious about that statement. Yeah. So that's that's an open-ended statement that says I don't. There, that has to be worked out in some kind of local local way. Mm -hmm. So when you say, Matthew, that there have to be parameters um, for what covetousness is, see, that, that's where, where the rub is for me because, because that's essentially these, like, 
that's the foundation statement of the whole brotherhood agreement thing sure. that applies to absolutely everything there right. has to be parameters between what me uh, around what is thinking on things that are good and wholesome so we ban radios right um and mp3 players um and and so as like like i as i read Vinny, i think david summed it up pretty well what what the Finney's argument is in, in King Jesus claims his church. Um, essentially that if you have an application that is necessarily a result of, of applying the scriptural principle, in other words, you think that this scriptural principle properly applied will lead um, in a direct line to this range of applications. And then you bound your range, you put your parameters there. These are applications you think are obedient to this. Everything outside those parameters are disobedient to that scriptural principle. Like, that makes sense to me. I'm there. Um, but, for, but when you then say, well, we're going to take a subset of those practices that are obedient to that scriptural principle, and based on making a protest against a social norm or based on being extra unified or presenting a you know making a stronger statement than we would by something more conventional we take we now ban a subset of the things that are permissible or that are that are obedient those obedient applications we only allow some of those within our fellowship group at that point those are that's what I would understand Finney to have have defined as extra biblical principles and I mean extra biblical standards and what I would also see as that's where you cross the line from from applying scripture to to narrowing your application for your own purposes um and 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 if you can make if you if a person is willing to make a case that something like skirts on women is is the only application that is obedient to the scriptural principle of modesty as you understand it that i believe the church local church has the authority to enforce and we're not all going to agree on what the on what that range of applications is that's obedient obviously i don't see that as a problem the fact that local congregations are going to disagree on where the line between obedience and disobedience is um, to the scripture. That's, that's inevitable. But are we, going to dis, are we going to disfellowship people for applications of scripture that are obedient? That's the area, that's the area that all, virtually all conservative Anabaptists would say, yes, we're willing to do that. Um, because because we have defined it down for all sorts of good reasons mm -hmm. to a narrower set of applications we allow. So I, um, was I clear with that? You understand my, where my issue is? Yeah, but it's as ill-defined as, as my position. In other words, I think you've just kicked the can. Uh, and you still have all this gray in defining the parameters between those two distinct positions. And that's what this whole case is. like. Who gets, to who gets to define that line of what's extra biblical and what's not? What's a reasonable conclusion? What's an unreasonable conclusion? What's too far and what's too narrow? So 
okay, so then we say, okay, let's let's just stay on the case since since we're talking about this issue in particular. So, okay, now we're going to allow pants. Well, who's going to decide how high the rise should be? Who's going to decide how tight they should be? Who's going to decide, like, where does, and then when that comes up, then how are you not doing the same thing there that I'm doing here? Like, I guess I feel like here, at least with the position that women maintain clothes that are that are traditionally in our culture known as feminine and setting the mark there and saying we know this is feminine we know it pertains to women and it fulfills the categories of modesty if you if you move that a shade of degree and you say well modest pants are okay well then who gets to decide which pants are modest and which ones aren't and Matthew, we can Matthew. say that then you make that a you make that a brush other to brother thing and you say well anthony if you have a problem with my wife's pants then come and talk to me but then then there's no purpose for having any kind of cohesion in the church and we just do everything that way you see okay so so i agree that the church needs to be able to speak into whatever issues arise in the church that are damaging unity or or that that there's some sort of consensus it's disobedience or whatever i mean that's what we're there for for each other Right. Um, but, but I think, I think you, I think you kind of moved the goalposts there when you, when you said we're drawing a line, like we're setting the line at what's at women should wear feminine clothes. Well, we all agree on that. I don't think there's any dispute on that here, but we also all know, and I think everyone in this chat would agree that, that, um, what feminine clothing is is culturally defined by time right. and place and in our culture a woman is not cross-dressing when she's wearing pants unless Man. she's wearing masculine pants like that is that is a fact so but and, but is it and and what about so and how long does that how long do the cultural parameters of that get to define the case? So when, and here looking forward from, from this, these kinds of decisions, we know that if you go back 50 years, maybe 60 or 70, in the 50s is when Sophia Loren first publishes public, public relations photos of a woman in pants. That's one of the benchmarks. She's on a golf course and she's wearing golf trousers tailored for a woman. And that's a scandalous thing that happened sometime in the early 50s. Huge issue. People mm -hmm. almost don't let her do it because they're worried uh, at the backlash because that's cross-dressing. So go back 60 years. Now run the clock forward 60 years. Mm -hmm. Where are we at when men wear dresses? And how culturally variable is the church in these kinds of issues? Or, or is there supposed to be a different kind of benchmark that we use that, that allows us to defy the culture a little bit in regards to these issues and say, no, we're, there are certain lines we're going to hold and keep on to. Well, so so why, are you starting, why are you starting those lines where you do? Why aren't you starting them back in the first century when men wore tunics? Why aren't you a tuna bro? Well, I, I kind of am. <laughs> I have a whole closet full of tunics. I like tunics. But, but, uh, but I do think that there's a way to... I, I think there's a, there's a middle ground between existing within your your current culture like okay here's the here's one of the marks i always use if a woman wants to look feminine she still puts on a dress like we know <laughs> that's a mark of femininity in our culture mm -hmm. still so why not harvest that principle 
for the sake of the church to define femininity and masculinity and if, just hold, a, the, hold the line. So if a man wants to look masculine, he puts on a big plaid lumberjack shirt. Does that mean we're going to require that in our church? Like just because, just because you can, I don't think that's an appropriate comparison. Just be, you're saying we're going to take a, a subsection of the far end of feminine clothing of the, what is recognized by everyone around us as feminine. We're going to take a subset of that and we're going to draw the line there. We're not going to draw the line at what is feminine versus masculine. We're going to draw the line at what is more feminine out of the feminine garments. Mm -hmm. And we're going to leave a gap in the middle of feminine garments. And so we, you just would, would you, are you willing to argue? This is my question. Are you willing to argue Matthew that a Christian woman wearing pants is disobedient to a scriptural principle? And if so, which one? Well, I can certainly argue that it's, that there are a lot of reasons not to. Um, I, I think that- No, th I th think that's that, but that's for all sorts of applications, Matthew, like- Well, I, I, really I mean, what, is, that what does it mean? Dis I mean, I feel like that's just a species of the question of you asking me, is she going to go to hell for wearing pants? And the no, question no, that absolutely is obviously not. no. But I think that's a, always a stupid question. Right. Uh, but but I feel like you're just a degree off of that. Like, is she making God angry if she wears pants? Is she doing? No, that's not the what I would say is, that not, are there reasons the to think either. that are there reasons to think that that's not the right way? for a woman to dress? And the answer to that question is yes. I do think there are reasons for a woman to think that that's not the right way to dress. Okay, now, so you would I say- I recognize that some of that is, some of that may be my, my personal biases, mm -hmm. but I also think that there's, a, there's room for the church to give some input in how, how to respond to those kinds of questions mm -hmm. because they pertain to biblically principled issues. And mm -hmm. Because there's a huge world of fruit that's coming out of this kind of issue. It's mm -hmm. not an academic case. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not just in the ether. There's real world consequence to these kinds of discussions, especially mm -hmm. as it pertains to gender and gender distinction. Mm -hmm. So when you when you if we were in a vacuum and it was just a question of should women wear pants or not, I think that's a different kind of analysis than saying in the 21st century, when the lines between masculine and feminine are being obliterated, and this is my second premise. So the first is, what does the church have to weigh in? And my second is, what are the consequences of these decisions? And that there's a variable application that the church can make from time to time. So for instance, when the church is, is going on and on about very God of very God, the whole Nicene Creed, the whole Arian refutation, that's a really important thing for the church to be dealing with in the, in the late third century. The, mm -hmm. the church is almost subsumed by Arian bishops. So the idea, did you want to say something, Dave? Yeah, if I could just jump in, because I have the sure. comments that are, saying, that are popping up uh, here, and there's a bunch of people that keep commenting on this idea of um, that we're, that this whole discussion is about women's clothes. And I think Four I'd days. like to be clear that the discussion isn't about women's clothes. The women's right. clothes is just what, what all these discussions revert to when you start talking about what's the church going to do, what kind of decisions is the church going to make? If, right. for, for whatever reason, women's clothes is where one of the big battle lines is. So that's the mm -hmm. point is, 
How do we tease out the church making decisions about an issue such as women's clothes? We're not trying to solve a women's clothes issue here. We're no. talking about church authority. I just like to be clear right. for the commenters that that's yeah. what's going on here. That we're not that, that that's not the point. The point is, how does the church do this stuff? Then, then right. if I could just have this throwaway, and then you could get back to the Aryans. Um, I tend to believe that women's pants are actually female attire because I would never go to Walmart to the ladies section, buy pants and wear those. And the reason is because people would say, why do you have women's pants on? You would be cross-dressing. Women's clothes. Yeah. So let me, let me, let me add one caveat to that. I think that it's a defensible thing for the church to talk about women's clothes because the scriptures talk about women's clothes. Those those scriptures in Titus and Timothy are addressed specifically to women's apparel. And I, I, don't, I don't feel like I have to apologize for that. It's something that the apostle raises in particular about yeah. women and how they appear. And so I think that's fair territory for the church to discuss. And I don't feel like we have to be ashamed or feel like we're being misogynistic in order to have that conversation that exists within the text of the scriptures themselves. As a matter of, as a matter of, uh, of expediency, I suppose we could set a policy that we don't discuss women's matters without women present on the, on the uh, podcast, but, but uh, here we are. So I, I would suggest that actually, um, I, I do want to throw, I do want to throw a wrench in the gears here. Um, so I'm, I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing this word modesty and I'm also hearing gender distinction. And I, I don't think I'm as, I'm as concerned about gender distinction coming out through clothes as, as you are, Matthew. I just, I don't understand why that's such a big hangup, but, but I'm sure you would give some historical reason for that. Um, but, but when it, especially when it comes to modesty, uh, when I was in the, the beachy Amish Mennonite church and trying to figure out if uh, I would go to hell if I wore skate shoes or not, I actually was was quite concerned about this, right? And and because I I like to wear hip clothes, at least when I was a teenager. Um, and I heard across the pulpit again and again that you should not wear hip clothes, right? So I found everywhere in in the Bible that or in the New Testament that I could find that that mentioned clothes. Turns out it's a very very small uh, mm -hmm. amount of of scripture that is dedicated to that. Um, but I, I did my best as a teenager to to look at even the the Greek. I mean, I, I didn't know Greek, but like what what it was that these scriptures were communicating. And um, it, from my perspective, it wasn't really talking about covering the body well. Now, I, I agree that covering the body well is a good idea, um, but I don't think there's one scripture anywhere in the Bible that gives a command to cover the body well. And that, that's a pretty strong statement. But mm -hmm. from my from my study, those verses are about dressing extravagantly to draw attention to yourself. Mm -hmm. That's that's from 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 my amount of, you know, limited research, what the, what the word modest in that that context meant. Now that you could extrapolate from that, that you should cover your body well so you don't draw attention to yourself. Right. But I, I think we we've started using this word modest as it basically just means cover the body well when I don't yeah. even think that's what the, the thrust of those verses were. Uh, well, so let me let me let me take a little bit of exception to that to that framework. I, I do think that that modest applies that way, especially like, OK, so here's the thing. We can't have our cake and eat it, too. If if what these things are about is culturally variable 
then we have to apply our culture to the variables. So if I live in the 21st century America where hypersexualization is the way that everything is marketed to me, where everything is sold, then we should expect mm -hmm. that sexualization of the body and the form is a part of what the church should be, should be addressing when mm -hmm. they use the term modest apparel, right? Is that a sensible conclusion? Uh, sure, but in the first century, wasn't there like public bathing and, and those sorts of things? I mean, in, in some in some senses, it was worse back then, right? Yeah, in some senses, it was. And I and, think and, the church is addressing those things. Well, in that in that context, it seemed like the, the thrust of those scriptures were simply saying, don't don't dress in extravagantly to draw attention to yourself. It wasn't about covering the body well. Right. I, I would say I would say if from my study as well to just back up Titus, um, I think it's a lot easier to violate those scriptures by and today as well. Um, I mean, there, there's a range of ways to violate them, but it's at least as easy to violate them by wearing too many clothes, too much clothing as not enough. Um, which reminds me of an example that illustrates it well. I don't remember the details, but Gandhi supposedly showed up to a royal event of some sort, um, I think in England at some point. Um, and, and it was uh, his meeting with Churchill. Was, okay, was it Churchill? So, so, so Matthew, tell us the story because you probably have the details. Yeah, I don't remember all the details of what happened, but he showed up in his, in his very simple native dress mm -hmm. and everybody was kind of taken aback that he was a would they call him a, a kafar? Is that what the kind of slang term for Indians was? Yeah, not sure. But but his comeback is the is the as I understand was something to the effect of, um, well, he has on enough clothes for both of us, so um, I think we're you know I think we're okay. Mm -hmm. So the who was immodest in that situation? Um, I would argue that Gandhi was not. Gandhi was not sexualizing himself. Gandhi was not, was not uh, the, this, you know, I mean, he may have appreciated the publicity op opportunity or whatever, but I don't think he was trying to draw attention to his body in a lewd way. Um, I, I can't see a lot of people probably found Gandhi a stumbling block in that area. So um, the, <laughs> the, the application, I believe, of the scripture was being applied by Gandhi and not by the dignitaries he was visiting with. Um, so I, I take the point. I, I, I mean, I don't, I could, I could run that scenario another way, but nonetheless, I take the point. And I agree that modesty has a broader, a broader definition than just concealing the form. But I think we're misstepping if we don't include concealing the form as a part of modesty, especially especially given the initial context of when we started wearing clothes as a species. The fact that the garden narrative begins with a concealment of the genitals and that doesn't hide shame. It doesn't do the job of concealing that which caught when they know that they're naked and seek to rectify that situation. There's a, there's a less than useful distinction that they make for themselves with fig leaves that God rectifies with coats of skins. And this concealment is intrinsic into the knowledge of nakedness. So we watch this play out with all of our little children. I, I've had a, a, a one-year-old running around upstairs in a diaper all day. Well, if I put my 10-year-old girl to run around in my living room in a diaper in her underwear, she wouldn't be at all comfortable. 
when we know we're naked, there's a concealment that, that we put on. And it's a part of rejection of, of God's truths, the truths that make for life and not for death, to understand the implications of that shame and to put it in propriety. So when we see in whatever culture, in whatever day, in whatever age, whether it's the baths of Rome or the ad execs of, of, of Hollywood, when the body is being manipulated for, for sexualization, mm -hmm. for eliciting excitement, that's counter to what God wants to do with humans. Absolutely. I, I would also say that hypersexualization by the church in a prudish, perverted form is just as bad or worse. Mm -hmm. So when, mm -hmm. you, when a woman has to be concerned that her earlobe or her elbow or her ankle is showing and causing someone to lust after her or whatever the case may be, that hyper, that's a hypersexualization just like the ad execs in Hollywood are doing. Yeah. It's just be, being done in a perverted, like Victorian prudishness. And that's yeah. just as damaging and probably more. So it's essentially if we lay the mirror both image. Of those, if we lay both of those extremes aside and we say, where's the middle? Where, where can we define some terms that are healthy and holistic. I think that conversations about gender distinction and concealing the form are appropriate in that place. I think they fit in that conversation. Maybe we should all let our wives come and take our places and take over so that all the people in the comments don't keep <laughs> hammering us with the fact that it's well, more dudes. Well, here's, here's the deal. We do I actually just, believe in consent. I had to break in here. <laughs> I have to break in here. Um, I just got a private message um, asking me to tell Matthew that um, one of the ladies who's watching feels that your beard is too sexy and immodest. So um, that's, you know, I, I don't know what we're going to do about that. But Say it to us. Yeah, my beard is gone, so I'm good. Come on the comment section and say it to <laughs> my his face. beard. My beard got so long that it was actually like creating pain in my face. I don't understand that. Maybe that's growing pains. Maybe you know when you, yeah, when you get it, it out. It, it was. Just... It seriously caused pain, and so I, I, you know, cut it off. So that. That's yeah, you're supposed to go past that point. Right. But if you can't handle the hardship, then I mean... well. Uh, Dave, I think you need to tell your female friend that she's pervy like those Mennonite preachers that are worried about elbows. I think that the point, I think an excellent point with this is if we're going to go around and make everybody's um, hang up what we base all the right. modesty stuff on, we're not getting anywhere. I, I agree. I, I don't Absolutely, think these should yeah. be. And I don't think it should be the weakest conscience rules the church. I, I think that there has to be some other pattern for yeah. looking at a, a, a broader set of issues to come away with conclusions. It's not just it about whoever's hung up on the on the most nitpicky detail. Do we do we have consensus that Matthew is the weaker brother here? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so we don't need to worry about that. We don't need to worry about his views. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I, 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 we've got a little fellowship down here in Arkansas that, you know, I, I, it's, this is a really much of a live issue for me because we're trying together to pursue, and not this, not this clothing issue in particular, there's a bunch of things that are way more important before that, but, but the authority issue, um, and, and I don't believe anybody has the authority to sit in a chair and hand down 
decrees for other people to practice. But as a brotherhood, how do we come together and and determine what things like like I've I've just got I am still looking for my biblical authority to say I want to you know we want to make a protest here so we're going to require people to go above and beyond the scriptural principle but maybe we've probably maybe we've followed that one out about as far as we can here and we're, we're well and I think I think that it's really worth considering the limitations of that of that of that position Anthony because if you're going to limit yourself there if the bible doesn't say exactly x y and z that's where we stop there's a whole host of issues that you're going to have you're going to have no capacity to deal with i think that there's supposed to be more life in our responsiveness to the principles of the scriptures than that that position allows for and i think when when we see when we see the world fall falling apart, and especially around these issues of gender distinction and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, there ought to be some kind of mechanisms for the church to have a responsive and proactive attitude to address those cultural cancers. That, And I'm not talking about culture war. I'm not talking about you know, the politicization of this or the sexualization of women or the desexualization of women. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm saying about that- about the customization that, of it. Yeah, that we ought to be able to customize the principles of the scriptures. Uh, cost, costumization, I was saying. Oh, I'm saying customize. I'm saying yes. let's customize our principles to fit and address the needs of our day and our culture. And I think that there is a latitude within. Like, So when we look at, here's another really honest question. And it's a question that I'm afraid of, but I don't I don't like hiding from questions that I'm afraid of. But when we look at Hebrews chapter 13, the most abused scripture in all of uh, all of the New Testament canon, except for maybe the Jerusalem Council by hierarchical structures, when 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 the writer of Hebrews admonishes us to obey them that have the rule over you, what is he talking about? Is he talking about they're only like quoting chapter and verse and saying that just obey the church ministers as they quote the scriptures to you, which you don't, then it's just a redundancy. Like there's this parroting of, of chapter and verse, and that's what we're obeying. Or is there an application of these things in real time in real issues and, and present conditions that allows the church to customize these principles to fit the needs of their day? Like the Arian controversy, like I don't spend a lot of time talking about Arianism, except for when I'm talking about dry history that nobody cares about. But it's not an issue. Like unless you have JWs at your door, we don't deal with the Arian controversy. It was the most important issue of the day. And what I'm saying is that when when Fathers of the Way focuses on what it means to be a woman and to look like a woman, what it means to be a man and look like a man, what it means to have a marriage and the, and mm -hmm. the definition of divorce or marriage. These are tailored concepts to deal with the problems that are falling apart, like the walls of Jericho around us in our culture. Like people don't know that man and woman is in an intrinsic position. And right. I'm okay if, if somebody's saying, I think you're, I think you're taking it too far. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I took it you too take far. everything too far. So you're cool with that. <laughs> but how are you going to address those issues in your context? What are you doing to put mm -hmm. femininity back into women in the church? Okay, to put that's masculinity a, back in the church. 
And that's a legitimate question. And, and I, I think you straw man me a little bit there as far as my position. My position is not like I've met, uh, we all know those people that need right. a chapter and verse for everything. Like, that's I, I, I don't mean, position. yeah. I agree. Um, but, I don't. I don't mean to put you in that category. I was just speaking um, in general terms. Right. Right. But but it's it's you know the if if it, like I would say you're you're consistent the followers of the way. If you look at and you say within our culture, um, what it means to follow biblical principles to be for men to be masculine and women to be feminine is for men to wear. Um, pants and women to wear dresses, let's say. Mm -hmm. That's what it means in our culture. Like that's anything else, you know, we're not, we, we're not asking like, again, a stupid question. Are you going to hell for this or not? You know, is God mad at you or not? That's not, right. I, uh, the, the question is, are you, are you following? Can you follow Jesus? Um, you know, are, are you following Jesus? Or is, is, is this part of the way itself? Um, you know, this requirement? Is this a requirement in our minds for actually being in the way of Jesus? Is this, is what, is this what someone who, is, who understands the way can be expected to look like? Um, if, if that's the case, and we're willing to take that stand, um, then I think w the church has authority to, to, to come to an understanding around that, to, to create consensus around that and establish it. Um, if that's not the case, if, if, if we're saying, well, our congregation just wants to do it this way because we think it's the best. Um, right. And, and you recognize the other way as being equally legitimate. Um, I don't understand the narrowing. Yeah, I think you're right. That that's, things. that's a subtle but important distinction. Yes, and that's I think my it, distinction that I'm driving at the whole time. There's a there's another there's another um, sub issue to this whole category of what what does the church have prerogative over and what does she not that 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 has that asks the question what is a local manifestation of church versus a universal manifestation of mm -hmm. church principle and how what where's the line of variability just like so we look at we look at in the in the uber local context what's the difference between me and you in our where do we where where do differences arise that are allowable differences versus non-allowable differences to be able to call each other brother whether that's across the internet or across the world or across the table and and that that's that's a meaningful conversation to have like how where what are the parameters that allow someone to call themselves a disciple but that same kind of like, what's the difference between me and you that's allowable is also what's the difference between church to church that's allowable. Like how much latitude does a given congregation? One of the, one of the root principles that we talk a lot about here is this issue of the, of the Eucharist and how the Eucharist is, is administered at this uber local um, application. It's not a temple feast in the Passover. Mm -hmm. It's a home to home. So there's this, mm -hmm. There's this uh, weird um, synthesis that something that's entirely Catholic for the nation of Israel, th that you have to take part of the Passover in order to be a part of Israel. In fact, it's so mm -hmm. important. There's a do-over day because if you're in yeah. Israel, you have to have the Passover, but it's administered not at the temple as a feast, but at the mm -hmm. home it, it, around a table in a familial setting. There's this setup that that there's, some, there's a local administration of this essential um mm -hmm. ceremony 
that that distinguishes the home one home from another and mm -hmm. how do we as the people of god carry that that principle through that what it means to be a part of this table this fellowship is that we have some what are the commonalities that allow us to sit at the table mm -hmm. and which ones don't like where are those agreeable uh, uh, permissible disagreements and impermissible disagreements so mm -hmm. that's all a big swirling issue of questions and i think this is one of them yeah i don't think i i i mean this is sort of the least of my concerns uh, whether you guys in, in boston want to wear skirts or not but yeah where, where it does become more relevant and and this is even something we've thought about when we're thinking of you know attending the your branch in in richmond um or the the people affiliated with you there is people from the outside joining the community and that being a barrier mm -hmm. to entrance. Now, I, I understand that Jesus made it very difficult to be mm -hmm. his disciple. And if you can't put on a skirt, then you probably won't be able to do the rest of what he asked you to do. So in, in one sense, it's an easy thing to do. Right. Um, but in another sense, it, if, if you have enough of those things in, in a pile, you know, those, those right. little things that might not necessarily be, uh, scriptural or might not necessarily be a direct command, then it, it does become a very large barrier to entrance. And so right. I would say more than anything, that would be my concern with, with that, that being a requirement in a church. I, I think that's a valid concern. And I, I think as a people, we're not looking to add things on that could, that could cause problems. Um, and I think that, you know, I make this polemic case in kind of grand terms <laughs> But in actual practice here, you know, if we had uh, an Indian sister that wore a sari with a long tunic and harem pants underneath, no, but I don't think anybody would take exception to that. I think that we're 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 committed to the idea that the lack of specificity in the scriptures gives us room to move. Like it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. But I think what we would say is if the church sees that this is a really important cultural distinctive, that, that there's an agenda that we have as the people of God in our present place and in our present day, then what's worth pushing past that? Explain to us why your desire to wear pants is more important than the church's desire to preserve femininity in a culture that's losing it. Let's have that conversation and talk about that rationale before we, before we go any further. And I think the, the, I think that's a reasonable question to ask. Maybe there, maybe somebody has a reasonable answer to that and we would change our mind, but we, I haven't, I haven't so far. The Dank Kingdom podcast has turned into a debate show. This is great. This is taking me back to my my first days of podcasting. When that was <laughs> I, I, like well, preaching, I like preaching to the choir more than arguing with my friends, but I'll take it. <laughs> One oh, this, of the is, things, this is better drama. But this It'll is in the spirit of BKCM. Yes. It is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that, um, that is that it was actually my breaking point. Um, with uh conservative anabaptism was um i i called it i ca i called it my infant baptism moment uh, it was at the point where um where i realized kind of like the first anabaptist where that this wasn't an issue you can reform around this is this is a an intrinsic part of the church 
uh, structure that is just mm -hmm. you can't fix it. And it was um, and it was the it was over the issue of baptism that um, basically the refusal of the church to baptize somebody, um, which is a command of Christ, unless they will agree to do extra biblical stuff. Um, you, you don't find that mm -hmm. it's not ever given as a as something to copy in scripture for us to imitate that they used baptism as a means of extracting promises um, and, and the other thing is the fact that they get people to promise to do this stuff shows that they don't actually have the authority and they know they don't have the authority to command it because if you if you have the authority to command something you don't need to get somebody to promise to do them and then hold them to their promise. You just tell them to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, that's a huge issue is, um, is that trying try to think exactly how to say it. How do you do what you're talking about with the church saying things like, um, <laughs> yeah, Can't I saw see that. It. You're gonna have to share yeah, your it's, screen. It's, it's it's not showing up right. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. Dave. How do you how do you how do you put a barrier between people being able to follow Jesus? Um, how do you avoid that and at the same time have these church structure and so forth? You, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I think so. Let, let, let me. Let me just give this as an example. Let's suppose you came to my church and I said to you, hey, now, in order for you to be able to take part in communion or to be baptized by us, you've got to agree to give the church $5,000 a year. Now, you're not paying for the privilege of baptism. That would be wrong. That would be simony. Um, but what we're doing is we're just applying a biblical principle, and the Bible says we ought to give of our substance to the Lord. So the application of that is just for you to be give us the money. Well, this is not that, a hypothetical, that's what I essentially, really. Pardon me. This is not really a hypothetical, even. <laughs> like there are churches that essentially do this. Yeah, but the but the thing is, um, why why is that? How is that fundamentally different? than these other things that we're discussing. Like a lot of what you're saying makes sense. And then I think back to that and all of a sudden I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know what the answer is for a church to be able to even come together on, on anything. And it doesn't have to be clothes. Although that seems to be what everybody's obsessed with. It could be whatever else. Um, right. I can't think of anything. Well, uh, <laughs> I think there's an answer to the, those questions. Uh, it's not a perfect one, but there's, I think, a place to begin looking at answers for that. And it's this, that like we have a lot of positions that are second tier positions. Um, one of the things that's been controversial for us, especially running a college, is the role of women as mothers in the church. And what does it mean for someone like we we really place women on a pedestal, especially mothers like that is a Christocentric ministry. And it's vitally important to preserve, to value and, and to 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 give all the prestige that's due to women who raise children in Christian homes. And so as such, we kind of lift that position up. Now, does that mean that a woman has to be 
ready to bear children, like even a married couple that gets baptized in the church. So we've baptized uh, some Chinese brothers and sisters who that's a whole new thought process for them because coming from China, it's all about career and, and, and excelling and children are way down the list. And, and there's a whole thought process around thought process around family and children that doesn't, that isn't informed by the Bible. It's informed by Chinese culture. And so to have those, those conversations about what family means and its priorities from a biblical perspective is, is a hard thing for people to deal with. Here's a correlation. I'm fascinated that in the patristics, there's, a, there's all kinds, you can go to all kinds of places to find condemnations of the theater. But there's no place that I've found that, that anyone is advocating an excommunication for going to the theater. You can find lots of people talking about the how wrong it is that you're putting mm -hmm. bad things in front of your eyes. There's all kinds of problems there. And these same people have no problem making lists of sins that you get excommunicated from the church from. The same people who, who, who condemn the theater don't add mm -hmm. theater attendance to their excommunication list. What that seems to imply to me is that there's mm -hmm. a difference between the church teaching something and the church requiring something. That there's a place for the church to say, here's something yes, that's yes. right, or here's something that's wrong, but you have to work it out with your own conscience. There's a mm -hmm. whole level of teachings that fit in that mm -hmm. category that are right, and the church should have a position on, mm -hmm. but they're not quite the place that the church can require adherence to. And so I think that we need to think um, mm -hmm. circumspectly about what fits in that category and what doesn't. And it may be a little bit of a moving target. I like that idea. It kind of goes back to the well, pyramid backing up, Matthew. concept. Go, Go ahead, ahead, Anthony. Well, I was, I was just going to say that goes back to what you said about, about Hebrews. Obey those that have the rule over you. I mean, I think that's a really, really bad Anglican translation. Um, but but uh, you like the KJV, so... Um, but the... the, the uh, my understanding is a more nuanced translation. If we can do nuance here, is um, don't tell Drew. Let yourself be persuaded by them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let yourself be persuaded by those who go before you. Essentially, in other words, mm -hmm. there are people leading the way in the in the in the way of Jesus. They're setting an example. They're walking ahead. They're showing how to go, how to follow Christ. Let that let the, the things they've discovered persuade you because they watch for your souls and they're giving account, like it describes a certain type of leaders that the people that book was written to had at the time. It, like it's, it's not all leaders fit that description. Yeah. It's not saying obey all leaders regardless. It's right. saying, here's the type of leaders that you have going before you. Let their example and teaching persuade you. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's exactly that that is 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 talking about that type of dynamic that you're describing there are things that the leaders of the church are going to promote because of their wisdom um that people should not be denied communion from as a result of not being persuaded yet yeah and i think we really there should be a lot of things like that in my right. mind i think that irenaeus was probably reading the king james yeah, Irenaeus probably was. 
Well, now we covered clothes on the podcast. Can we not do this ever again? <laughs> Was that a pun, Titus? <laughs> no, how is that a pun? Cover this again. Oh, good one. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> See what you did. Okay, so, so, uh, yeah. Well, well, actually, there's there's a whole. Uh, yeah, let's just let's just uh, do a moratorium on covering women's clothes on the podcast again i think the whole idea of i actually think the, the pro one of the problems here is that women have been hammered and hammered and right. for whatever reason in western culture women's clothes are more of a flashpoint they're more controversial yeah. i don't know if that's because men run everything or because like i don't know what all the dynamics are that feed into that but but i the subject of clothing aside from that issue is is actually a really important subject like mm-hmm. it is a tremendously central part of culture and how people define their identity and and um and how a culture sees itself and how subcultures relate to the the larger culture around them like clothing is re- is really really important and it's a subject i'm very interested in um I, one thing that i think is not a tenable position is that clothing doesn't matter and it's not an issue for us that is even worth thinking about. I don't think that, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that um, makes any sense. So, so, but, but I, I think we're also discussing, and whenever that issue comes up, we are d- discussing it against a backdrop of a whole bunch of, of really um, a lot of paranoia and, and, uh, what's the word it's just got a lot of baggage especially right. within plain culture right that you really have to be careful it's 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 good to be careful about it it's not um it's, right there's it's been discussed in unhealthy ways more than in healthy ways and i think that i showed up to the party uh, if you will the the kingdom yeah. party from a very very different vantage yeah. point uh, coming from the streets coming from skinhead gang culture where costume was communicating all mm-hmm. kinds of things about identity, it was a natural fit for both Eric and I to jump right into the idea of identity enshrined in costume, that we mm-hmm. present to the world what we want to be and that we're mm-hmm. communicating a whole a whole realm of, of nuance and importance about mm-hmm. who we are, how we see ourselves in the world and how the world should see us. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the issue of of Christian distinctiveness wasn't a, wasn't a conscious concern for us. We wanted we wanted to be Christians the way we were skinheads. We had a way that we presented ourselves in the world to communicate who we were, and we just jumped right into Christianity with the same ethos that there's a way to present yourself in the world. And if I was going to do it for that, I would certainly do it for this. And so. Mm-hmm. not having some of the same baggage i think we approach the issue from a little bit different uh, initial context now mm-hmm. that's a lot of years ago I've, I've been i've been over a few bridges since then with hither and yon so i i think i can have a little more informed conversation about it but i i still think that that's my personal bias mm-hmm. that i start the questions around costume and dress and apparel from the perspective of identity and what purposeful identity are we displaying to the world around us? Mm-hmm. Not everybody. Yeah, and I think does. it's, I, and I think your family rep, I, I think it's really cool that your church has enough wiggle room that the Milliones can present themselves as a family. It's very clear. You have like your, your, your clothing 
even though it's not like strictly uniform, it definitely says something about your family culture. And I think right. that's exactly what clothing should do and right. what it will do if we allow it to. That's actually one of my issues with strictly defined uniforms is right. that it actually masks who people really are. Right. It doesn't allow them to, to manifest their internal processes in the way that more freedom would. Right. So as, as conservative as I appear on the issue, and, and for good reason, I, I, I really do think that the lack of specificity is not just an accident of the scriptures, that it's, an, mm -hmm. it's, it's a point to the scriptures, that there's supposed to be a lack of specificity. It's because a feature, not there, a bug. Right. There ought to be manifestations of individuality within how we present our, mm -hmm. our appearance to the world. And to push back a little bit, though, on, on the whole, we need to look like a subculture thing. I, I actually think that we should be as much a part of our culture as possible, minus the sinful aspects of our culture. And I think I've talked to you about this before, Matthew, but if we go to India, we should try to dress like the culture in order right. to win the people. We should eat with our hands if possible, sit on the floor, everything possible to become like that culture. But for some reason, we don't, we don't apply that same sort of sensibility in America, where I think we should look like the culture, we should be like the culture as much as possible to win them minus the sin. So minus, mm -hmm. you know, sexualized clothing, or uh, other types of clothing that give a, a sinful, um, uh, message then yeah we, we we protest the culture where it's sinful we celebrate the culture where it is it's it's neutral or where it's amoral so that would be a little pushback i have um uh, against this whole idea that oh we should we should dress to stick out you know in in america uh, i i think that's a i think that's a valid position to take and i think it's a patristic position to take i mean the the mm -hmm. church fathers write exactly that we we blend in mm -hmm. you can't tell us yeah. from from our yeah. neighbors I, I would my my own position i think is that i am a subculture kid and so my cultural ethos is to be subculture and and having mm -hmm. come from subculture i like the idea of of wearing my patches of wearing my pins and of making a statement with how I look. And so that's always been a natural fit for me and my family to say sure. within now, now I, I have, I have reformed some of my distinctiveness over the years. And, and in, in fact, especially around women's attire, because we used to wear homemade clothes. And when, mm -hmm. when my heart started to bend towards urban environments, we realized that there may be a difficulty with that. I wanted I wanted biblical obedience to be immediately assimilable. In other words, mm -hmm. I don't want somebody to have to learn how to sew to feel like they're properly attired as a Christian right. man or woman. And so we made our clothing choices along lines of things that were readily available at the Goodwill, you know, something I could pick up off the rack and clothe my family. And so we made that conscious choice along those lines, but I think we still do it in a way that we don't mind, um, we, we don't mind doing that in a purposeful way that makes a statement about the world around us. And I so, think there's a distinction between here's the weird way the Milionis dress, like the world sees that different. This is how the, fa how this family dresses versus right. this is how these people believe you have to dress to be a Christian. Right. 
Because if and, you see Finney, he doesn't do, he doesn't, you know, Finn's family doesn't put on all the trappings that and nobody, I don't know if anybody else here in the whole Boston church wears suspenders. I don't think another person does. That's kind of my gig. And I do it as kind of like a, hey, look at me. Now, it turns out you just look like a bunch of hipsters, but hey. So essentially, Matthew, you just said you do it to violate the principle of modesty. <laughs> within a culturally acceptable context <laughs> so this the concept then is that um kind of tying together what titus said um, with what you were just saying um that you know christians don't need to be um christians don't need to be looking different um, the, the whole the distinctive attire shtick that we're all so, so familiar with is not essential. Right. Um, and you would say that as distinctive as you and your family look, Matthew, you would say that, that, that that's not essential to Christianity. No, but at the at same time, it's a point of liberty that it, you as a subculture kid um, want to do that that that's also an option that's available to you because it's not wrong to look religiously different. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just that it's, um, it's not required and um, you're not expecting everybody else to, to do that too. And to me, that's, to me, that's where the rub in so much of this stuff is, is how much room other people who don't see it the way that you see it or that I see it, have liberty to move within that and how much of it is going and then hounding people and chasing them down and whatever, no, no matter what the issue is. Yeah. Well, the devil's always in the details. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm, I'm selling my position a little bit short on my personal appearance. There is a little more, a little more to it than my subculture rebellion. I, I, I also think that, you know, for me personally, I, I took exception to the idea that in order to for my wife to feel like she was being biblically obedient, she stands out like a sore thumb in our culture. And I didn't like her standing there alone. And I adopted forms of dress and costume that allowed me to willfully take on the mantle that she takes on accidentally. And that's a that's something that has to be worked out with individuals like you got to figure out how to do that in your own right i didn't like the idea here's how it happened when we first started we, we when we first started wearing head coverings we didn't know a single person in the world that did it and we i ended up working at a, a cabela's in southern michigan and it was the first time i ran across plain people and i was working at a cash register at cabela's and a bunch of mennonites walked in and i was like oh my who are these people and so i took a break as quick as i can because i wanted to track down these people so I ran upstairs, the upstairs of the Cabela's I was working at, and I looked out over the whole store and I was like, where are those people? Where are those people? Where are those people? And then I thought, look for the women. And as soon as I did that, I was like, ew, I don't like that. I don't like that. Why do I have to look for the women? That doesn't seem right. And in the next process <laughs> of time, so then, then my next kind of like pivotal experience is now my wife is wearing dresses and a head covering. I'm still in dicky shorts and like a gravedigger t-shirt with a ball cap on. And we're at the grocery store and somebody comes up to my wife and is like, well, where do you go to church? Who are you? What are you? And I step up next to her to answer questions. And the guy looks at me like, who in the world are you? Why are you buttoning into our conversation? Get out of here, you weirdo. And I'm like, no, no, that's my wife. And he's like, what? 
that's your wife. You see it all the time with Muslims, right? Like a woman in a hijab mm -hmm. and a dude in shorts and a t-shirt and a ball cap. And you're like, that don't look right. What? That's weird. That, that kind of feeling I never was comfortable with and always wanted to do something different than that. So the way I wear my beard, the costume choices I've made are all a reflection of that kind of willingful distinction. So since my wife doesn't stick out like a sore thumb, then I guess I'm fine doing what I'm doing, right? Well, you're wearing a head covering while we talk about all this, so. I'm not praying or prophesying. Then I'll feel free to disregard whatever you say. <laughs> uh, it depends on your it depends on your definition of prophecy, I guess. Yeah, I yes, suppose it yes. does. It does. Well, we're we're almost at an hour and a half. Do we want to? Is there any more territory we want to cover? Did we all decide I'm wrong? Yeah, I think I think you're. <laughs> yeah, I think about the pants, but I don't. You're 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 a little you're a little bit wrong. Deal. Yeah, you're a little bit wrong, but you defended your heresy well. So I think that's kind of what we hoped for out of the thing. Yeah. Um, no, we, we, I think we exposed you well, which is what I was hoping. For. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, Matthew's yeah. His views on pants exposed. Take, take heart, Jim. <laughs> yes. And I, I do yeah, appreciate well, there's, the nuance. There's though, updates I, I on there, including you... a new cartoon of Anthony. Really? Really? Yes. Can we go screen. on there and share the screen? Um, no, I'm on my phone, so I have a hard time doing it. But maybe one of you can. But yes, Anthony, you are. You got to scroll down a little ways, and there you are. But um, he's uh, he was upset that you that you said he was prideful and hubris because he thinks he can actually believe and stand on what God's word says. Yeah, why would I even do that? Like, <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, well, that's, that sounds interesting. I'll have to check that out. I'll have um, to check but, that. So, yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, Matthew, I, I do want to say, like, I feel like I understand your position better. I still disagree with it on, on the same basis, but, but I'm comforted. Um, I think I'm, I'm comforted somewhat with it. Um, I, I still think it's hard to draw lines, harder to draw lines around that position than around mine, but, um, that's, that's, that's okay. There you go. 100% sure about my sign. Why are you laughing? If you say you're sure of something, you have pride and hubris. He is such a good artist, man. Jesus I know. I wish we could, I wish we could recruit him. Uh, Hand-drawn memes would be like a niche hipster thing. I do like your nice conservative attire there, Anthony. That's, that's a blessing. Shirt tucked in. Wait, wait. Those pants are red, though. That's a little. That's a little boring. Well, they're brownish. Okay. It's like corduroy. I'm a hipster, but to to be fair, he doesn't. I let's see. What was I wearing? I was wearing blue jeans on the only photo I think he has of me. So that's uh, that's a little bit of a fail. The top button buttoned with sort of reddish pants and, and a beard is definitely hipster. Although they probably wouldn't tuck their shirts. Yeah. On. Is that so, a pen uh, in there? Do you wear pens in your shirt pockets? Please don't do that. I do all the time. Oh, a no. pen I, and a Sharpie and a highlighter. Oh, no. There you go. It's another oh, topic for another yeah, that, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, one of the things to me, Matthew, that makes, that makes a huge difference, um, makes me feel a lot better, even where the points I disagree, 
is your willingness to localize the issue and say, this is something that people are coming together in, in the small groups um, and agreeing together is not something, hey, this way to view it and it's either that or go to the bad place. Um, or, you know, that even, even like you've talked about Anthony um, coming to um, followers there in Boston and, and having communion with people that maybe that aren't necessarily part of your local assembly. Mm -hmm. To me, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, the, the, the willingness to localize as opposed to um, making it across the board. Um, uh, that, that's a, I don't know about the other guys, but that's a huge distinction for me. Yeah. And I, you know, in all this, like I'm, I'm lost if we start talking about China. Like, I don't know, I don't know how to navigate the cultural issues around costume and appearance there. I mean, since I, I know that there's, there's old forms of feminine dress in Chinese costume, but when you get to the communist revolution and the androgenization of the workforce, like all that kind of goes away. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to navigate any of those issues. It's not, it's not a it's not a place that I can really weigh in without without a lot more understanding. So I have to reserve judgment and all those things. I, I don't. It's not my place for whatever reason. Until we start planting churches in China, we'll deal with it then. But you know, those kinds of concerns I feel like have to be held with an open hand so that you can understand. I, I don't want to come across as a one size fits all that that we have all the answers for all humanity in every context, because these are the ideas around around costume, especially and and even even what's sexual, what's attractive, what's not all those are. There's a lot of cultural variables with all that stuff. So, okay. Well, it's a good talk, guys. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, same here. So next week, same bat time, same bat channel. We'll have David Sanabria and Titus is going to miss out. Or are you going to join us? We'll see what I'm doing. I'm, uh, I'm trying talk to talk about I, PSA. <laughs> yeah, th I, I've heard enough atonement stuff, but I, I'm sure it'll be good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you have yet, Titus. I'll oh, listen to man, it. I'll for sure man. listen yeah, to it. But I, I have so much work with, you know, trying to line up guests with that Jesus podcast. I mean, it just takes a lot more work when you have to actually line up guests and, and then edit both of these podcasts and publish them. So yeah. that's why. And I think it's cool to give room for other people on the dang meme page to join the conversation, too. So yeah. in the future, I'll probably just be on every other time. Sounds good. All right, guys. All right. Well, I'm going to sign off. See you all. Good night, everybody. Talk Peace. to you later.